Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. All right, we got lots to talk about tonight. It's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs against the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl repeat of Super Bowl 54, but man, how those games went and how they got there is a lot to discuss, especially about the Detroit Lions, a sad finish for them, and Dan Campbell has something to think about. You know, is it Dan Campbell or is it Kevin Cash? (laughs) Well, if if Kevin Cash would have let Blake Snell kick the field goal like he was supposed (laughs) to, then all of this would have been fine for Dan Campbell, but yeah. Very similar analytics in that respect, and uh, they both may have that uh, sort of as their epitaph there uh, before it's all said and done. Um, So we'll get to all that. The Lightning finish on a hot note going into the All-Star break. That was good as well. Talk a little bit about that. But first, uh, and the Bucs, of course, have offensive coordinators coming and going. Most of them going, not so many coming, but they're trying to interview people before they get plucked by other teams. So that's been something to follow over the weekend. I want to start uh, just briefly um, some really sad news. And, and look, for I think a lot of people uh, were readers of the Tampa Tribune and of the Tampa Bay Times know the name or the column of Martin Fenley, um, who was in this area for years. I mean, probably some almost as long as me, two or three decades anyway. Uh, and and for what I do, because I covered the Bucks and – the, the Tampa Tribune and the Times would not just have me on the road, but also Martin would come with the Tribune or Gary Shelton or Tom Jones, you know, with us and the Times or Hubert Mizell going back even further. And so we all, you know, we're always together and we travel a lot. And then eventually uh, when the Times was essentially absorbed or the Tribune absorbed by the Times, uh, we, we also uh, had Martin come over and he worked for us for a while and I got to know him even better but, you know, you spend more time with, with sometimes your coworkers and colleagues than you do your own family. It's just the jobs we do. A lot of times on the road, a lot of meals, a lot of uh, times in the press box together. And all I can say is I'm, I'm terribly sad for his family, his, his children. He has a, a boy and a girl um, and those that loved him. And there are a lot of people that did. And I include myself among them. He was a um, incredibly gifted writer like first and foremost like could turn a phrase like nobody's business i mean effortlessly or so it seemed and he could write stuff that would make you laugh hysterically uh he he had a pretty sharp uh, you know pretty sharp blade if he wanted to take somebody to task and he also um uh, you know was very very funny and uh uh <laughs> just I mean, some of the leads he'd come up with. We were in we were in uh, Green Bay. I don't remember the exact circumstance of the game, but it went badly for the Bucks. Um, so he used the old. It was the best. He goes, it was the best that we were in Green Bay. Now it was the best of times. It was the bratwurst of times. So he was just, you know, he just had a way uh, with with turning phrases. And mostly, he was just a, a very funny guy, you know, and um, made everybody laugh all the time. Very self deprecating. Um, and and somebody that you just enjoyed being around him. I mean, there's no other way to say it. 
had a few health problems towards the end of his career. Um, I think he suffered a minor stroke and he recovered from that okay. But we were all, I was taken aback as I always, you know, you lose your breath when a colleague of yours, um, age 65, just wow, um, you know, passed away, I guess, on Friday and the news hit on Sunday afternoon. So for all of those, and there's been a lot of people, you know, on Twitter and whatnot weigh in, um, again, we all feel for his family, his friends, and, and he will be missed, as will his great talent, immense talent that he had as a writer and something that inspired a lot of people who still write. I know Joey Knight posted something about how inspirational Martin was. And it's kind of the way you felt when you were around him. Like, you know, you had to, had to kind of up your game a little bit because he was just that good. So, uh, rest in peace, Martin. We feel really awful for you and your family and, um, you know, wish them, uh, nothing but uh, prayers at, at this time. Okay. So, um, these games, Steve, I tell you, I, I watched them both, and uh, certainly the most entertaining game of the day was Detroit at San Francisco, and man, the Lions came out. I, I wasn't surprised. They, they ran the ball with impunity. They uh, were more physical. They were playing so hard, and, and really the 49ers were on their heels. They didn't know what hit them. At one point, they're down 24-7, to um, and that's how it was going into halftime, and, and you figured, okay, maybe – Maybe San Francisco will make a little bit of a push here, but this game, this game is pretty much over because they couldn't stop the run. And when you can't stop the run, you're not going to get the ball very much. I mean, they controlled time of possession, all of that. Brock Purdy wasn't very sharp. And then the 49ers started their comeback, which is, you know, good for them. They, they got a field goal on the board, and it's 24-10. to 10. And so you're like, okay, now it's a two-score game. But then... Dan Campbell had a chance to make it a three-score game again. And, you know, at that point, I'm not smart enough to play the analytic game, and I know they went for it on fourth down pretty much all year long, right? That's kind of been their deal. But when I got a lead like that, especially in a playoff game against a really good team that can come back on me perhaps, I just I just want to have a race to as many points as I can get. If I can get 30 up there before they do, I got a really good chance to win. And Dan Campbell said, nah. Let's go for it here. What was it? Fourth and two, fourth and three, mm-hmm. something like that. So he, he decides not to go for the field goal. They throw a pass. The receiver kind of falls down a little behind him. He drops the ball. And instead of being up three scores at that point, now you give, you know, now you give San Francisco uh, a chance to come back and beat you. And lo and behold, they did, you know, systematically come back and beat you. Um, and it took some like ridiculous plays, right, for that to happen, um, including, you know, just this play where what Purdy winds up, throws it deep to Brandon Ayuk. It goes through the hands of a Detroit defensive back, hits him in the face, Max, and pops up, and Ayuk catches it, like, inside the 10-yard line. Like, you've got your immaculate reception, and then now you have the fluke to Ayuk. I mean, <laughs> it, I mean it was, you know what I mean? Like, it was like, what just happened? Like the first of all, it should be a pick. Then, if nothing else, it's an incomplete pass. But no, no, no. And I credit Ayuk for hustling on the play. He didn't quit on it. Mm-hmm. But the ball pops up in the air and lands right into his hands. And all of a sudden, that leads to a touchdown. And you're like, "Uh oh!" Those are the kind of plays that that signal that something else is about really bad to happen here. But it all started with the decision not to kick the field goal. And I just feel like. Why are you, Steve? Why are you just not? Why are you potentially giving away a three-score game there? 
Well, because you're married to this analytics stuff, which, look, over the course of a season, works. We've talked about this in baseball forever. Yeah. Like, it, it analytics, there's a reason it, it works is because much like when you go to the casino, over the course of time, the house is going to win there. In analytics, you're doing things that a majority of the time are going to work out that way. It doesn't always work out. But when you've got a one game, I have to win this moment, you have to... You have to go well. Normally, in the right, if this is week fifteen, and I'm I'm got a playoff berth wrapped up, but maybe I'm trying to division. Yeah, go for it, sure. But this is the playoffs. You're up fourteen points with a chance to go up seventeen mm-hmm. in the second half. Yeah, it wasn't like yeah. this was in the first quarter. Okay, no. second half to go up three scores, and instead, when you miss it, now if you made it, you may look like a hero. Great, but, but I, even I if said you it make before the they, before down. they went for it, it was like that's a mistake. Period. I did too. We, me and my wife were watching. We said, "You got to kick the field goal here." Mm-hmm. Even if they did make it, Steve, it doesn't mean you're going to score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. It just means that you got three more downs, right? Right. I mean, right. And and like I said, I think coaches are too conservative as a whole. Yeah, but it's fair when when you have a 14 point lead in the second half of a playoff game and you have a chance to go to three scores, not two, because you kick the field goal and if you make it, and field goal kickers are make it more often than not of course even if they went down and scored a touchdown you're still up two scores not That's one the thing. now two yeah yeah and by missing it you gave them all the momentum too brought yeah. the crowd it, back in the game it just gave them hope and then the, you know you get one bet and that's the, that's why you want three scores is because something fluky happens which indeed indeed did happen which contributed to the comeback and now you're fighting for your life just to hold on to the lead and, you know, they got the crowd back in it. San Francisco um, started to wake up a little bit on offense. I mean, here's here's the damnedest thing. I mean, you know, they say stats are for losers, right? And and I guess they are, especially if you lose the game and you look at them this way. But if I had told you, like, there's, like, just statistically, right? Who won this game? Okay, one team had 29 carries. First of all, that's a lot of carries for a football game. 29 carries for 182 yards, average 6.3 yards per carry, and three touchdowns rushing. Oh, and by the way, that included a 42-yard run. I don't even, in most days, I wouldn't even have to look at another column. I would just tell you they won. Why did they win? Well, for one thing, they were able to run it 29 times. That means they must have had a pretty good lead, right? They're not throwing it if you're running it 30 times. And then to average 6.3 a carry and score three touchdowns, well, Surely you won that game, right? And oh no, 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 no. But they also passed for two hundred and seventy-three yards in a touchdown with no interceptions. So I got no interceptions. I got four touchdowns up here. How in the hell did you lose this football game? It, it just it boggles the mind. Now I know that you know the Forty Niners, as it turns out, ran pretty hard too, and Christian McCaffrey especially um, had a tough ninety yards, you know, on, on twenty carries and a couple scores, but. There in, in no universe do you do you go on the road and have that sort of a lead in a game that that is for to go to the Super Bowl. If you do not, I always say this: like sometimes you get to a point in the game where if you have a big enough lead, if you do nothing but fall down three times and punt it the rest of the day, you should be able to hold it. You know, you should be able to hold that lead. And God knows Kyle Shanahan's been on the other side of that. I mean, he was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons when, you know, Brady came back, 
you know, what, 24 to 3 or whatever it was, or 28 to 3. Um, in the Super Bowl, no less. And I, and I kept thinking, man, is is Kyle going to win any huge games in his career, or is this just going to be a thing? Um, it was it was pretty grim at Levi Stadium. Things were not going the way they wanted them to. But those decisions, and then it came back again. Steve, that wasn't the only time he turned down a field goal, right? Yep. Yeah, well, he was down three. Down three. A chance to tie the game. Now, you've... You've given away the lead, okay? San Francisco is up. They just scored with about nine minutes and 52 seconds to go. They're up by just a field goal. Okay, that's cool. Up a field goal. You get the ball, and you drive the football because you get a big play on first down. You get 22 yards, and you get 16 yards. Um, and then, you know, before you know it, you're at their 30-yard line, Okay. Um, fourth and three at the 30, San Francisco 30. You, So the field goal is going to be about 47, 48 yards. Okay. Very makeable field goal for any field goal kicker in the NFL. Fourth and three. Now this isn't fourth and one, fourth, fourth and three. And you decide rather than tie the game with seven minutes to go, 732 to go. No, 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 no. We're going to go for it again. And you do, and the ball is kind of behind uh, St. Brown, and, it, and it's incomplete. And now, you, now you've given up six points in this game that were fairly easily, easily gifted points to you. So now, now you're chasing it, and then, of course, San Francisco goes down, drives the ball all the way for a touchdown. Now it's over because you're down two scores with three minutes to go. Yeah, you got three timeouts. You get a you know kind of a garbage touchdown late, but you don't have enough timeouts to stop the clock. And basically the game's over, you know. Um, just mismanaged sideline stuff. I feel for the Lions and their fans because man, what a what a magical year they had. But what a what a god awful finish. I mean, to what was a great season to be up in this game, you know, twenty four to seven, right until eleven minutes to go in the third quarter. And they start chipping away, and you just say, eh, points. What? Who needs points? Ugh, that's a tough one. Well, and as you always say, and granted, it's not the biggest game. It's the second biggest game. But when you get there, you better win it. You have to win it. Because there's no, there's no guarantee you're getting back. I'll tell you something else. that this, this game here, like the championship games, are the ones that in many ways, like you hate, you never want to go to a Super Bowl and lose because then they're, you know, the hats and t shirts for the next month are on TV. But at least, even if you go to a Super Bowl and lose, and I, I, I don't know because the teams I've covered have never lost one yet, but even if you go and you lose, um, you were in, you were in that arena, right? You got to experience the Super Bowl. You got, you were there. You had a chance to win a championship. Um, but when you get to the championship round and lose, no one remembers you were there, like nobody, except maybe your fan base. You know, it was it was dreadful when the Bucks got there in '99 and lost to the Rams with the Bert Emanuel you know rule and all that stuff. Um, Sean King at quarterback, and they were up eleven to what was it? No, they were up. I think they were up eleven six, six to five, five at one six point. To five, yeah, six five at one point. Uh, and uh, eleven, and then eleven to five, I want to say, and then uh, Ricky Prohl with four minutes and forty four seconds has a touchdown. But um, that that was just that was hard. It was hard to get there, and 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 you know, and then everybody kind of goes, "Well, you'll be back." Well, n- not really. You know, you didn't get back for many many years, 
In fact, Tony Dungy never got back. He got fired before they got back. And then John Gruden did get back, and he beat Philadelphia and went on won the Super Bowl. Um, so you don't know when you're going to get back to that game. But that game comes with absolutely no recognition at all. You know, people have to remember, like, who was in the championship game last year? Oh, yeah, you remember the team that won because they went to the Super Bowl. You do not remember who loses in these games. And it's so hard to get there. You know what I, you know what I was thinking? Every game's different, right? But, like, in many ways, the Buccaneers played Detroit better than the 49ers did. You know what I mean? Because Detroit could do anything they wanted for three quarters. I mean, and, and that defense in San Francisco at home with that crowd – was supposed to be, you know, elite, and they weren't. They ran the ball right through them, obviously, with those kinds of rushing numbers. It was shocking. They ran it right through them, and they didn't get a ton of pressure, which meant the zone defense yeah. didn't work. Didn't work, yeah. So, I, I mean, they to be in, in control like that on offense and keep your defense fresh, to, to not win that game, like Dan Campbell has done a lot of great things in, in Detroit. Mm-hmm. God bless him. He took him from a long way, you know, in three years. Um, first year was like, what, 213 and something or 214 and something uh, and one or whatever. And then, you know, of course, last year they ran off a bunch of wins at the end of the season uh, or two years ago. And then this year, of course, they had that magical season. But, you know, they showed shots of Ford Field jammed. Oh, they sold like, it out. 70,000 people watching this on a big screen. It was incredible, you know. And I all I could think of was like, what a somber, quiet, cold sludge into the, into the night in Detroit coming out of that building and having watched that, right? Because at some point, you know, somebody said, we're in the Super Bowl and just – Kind of went over the edge, and they're going to wake up today going, "What happened? I got kind of hammered. What happened?" Um, it, it just it, it it's, it's too bad because in a way, like my heart was kind of with Detroit and, and the city of Detroit and the fans. It's really cool up there. I mean, I know the Bucks lost and everything, but that atmosphere was electric. And and you know, and Detroit needed this right because Pistons are bad, Tigers had been good. You know, tough city to live and all that stuff. Um, but they had the Lions, man, and, and, and I think a lot of America had the Lions. But, um, you know, in, in San Francisco, this is the second game in the playoffs now where they have not played their best game and won. You know, the, the last game they probably should have lost as well. But they're back, they're back into the Super Bowl, and they're playing a familiar foe in Kansas City. I'm happy, most happy for John Lynch, of course, the former uh, Bucks Hall of Famer that has been the general manager of the 49ers now for a number of years. This was the game his first Super Bowl that uh, they played down in Miami a few years ago against Kansas City, and they had the lead. They had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, and it looked like it was over because, you know, San Francisco's defense was dominant, and then Pat, Pat Mahomes let him back, and um, at that time, Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't able to do anything in the fourth quarter. I think he was 3 of 11 passing in the fourth quarter. He missed a wide-open receiver for a touchdown. Like, there was a lot of stuff that went bad and they wound up losing that game and losing, you know, as Patrick Mahomes' first Super Bowl. And now Patrick Mahomes, man, I'll tell you what, speaking of the other game, Kansas City and Baltimore, lots of expectations for the Ravens. And Lamar Jackson, the, you know, the presumptive MVP and all of this. Woof. What was that first half all about? Yeah, the Kansas City defense, and you know, going in, it was all about the Baltimore defense is the best defense in the NFL. Kansas City's defense played incredible today. 
I mean, shut yep. that, shut Lamar Jackson and Baltimore down, basically. Yep. I mean, that's why. I mean, Mahomes was great, and you know, Travis Kelsey made some catches, but that was the defense that won that game for them. Yeah, and they they were number two. Baltimore was number one, um, but you forgot how good number two was. They had a perfect plan for Baltimore. They had the perfect plan. Uh, they they would shut down the run in the early downs, and then when they got Lamar in third and long, they brought the house. And the one thing, like just watching Lamar, and look, I there's a lot of you know opinions on Lamar Jackson, right, as a quarterback, and always has been um, coming out. You know, I think Mel Kiper said he should be a running back or something like that, but whatever. Lamar Jackson's going to be the MVP of the league. It just is. Uh, the votes are taken before the playoffs, certainly. And he's had a dynamic year and got got his team, you know, to the AFC Championship game. But to host that game for the first time in Baltimore as the Ravens and, you know, to have everything going for you like that and then to go out there and just stink it up. And when I say stink it up, I mean, like, there was nothing that came easy on offense. And that's a credit to the Kansas City defense, but but also the way Lamar plays, you know, because – there wasn't anything, and, and maybe this is Todd Munkin's fault, but there just wasn't anything easy. There wasn't anything rhythmic. Like when Lamar Jackson hits that back foot, the ball needs to either come out, okay, or he needs to put it under his arm and take off. Because what he ended up doing was getting caught in the middle. You know, he'd take his three, five, seven-step drop, whatever, and then he'd hit it, and then he'd pull the ball down. And then he'd run around a little bit, and then he'd pull it down. And then maybe he'd run, or maybe he'd throw it away. You know, a lot of that is, is again is a credit to their coverage, but also there's some he was caught in between a lot. You know, it just felt like he didn't make quick decisions, whether it was, you know, who to throw it to or whether to tuck it and run. Like it, it just everything was frenetic to the point where you can't complete five passes in the first half or whatever it was, some some simple number like that. One of them was to himself. Right? The ball got batted up. He made this incredible uh, deflection, catch, whatever, broke a tackle, and I thought he was. I thought for a while there he was going to, you know, score the damn thing, um, but but he didn't. But it was like you looked up at the end of the first half and you go, "Wow, that's not really very good NFL numbers." You know. Meanwhile, Patrick Mahomes was perfect, damn near perfect, throwing the football. And and look, I don't know. I know Travis Kelsey's having a good year for a lot of reasons, on and off the field, Taylor Swift and all that. How in the hell? Does no one ever cover this guy? He's not fast. He's big. He's a great route runner. But more than that, like Mahomes just kind of knows exactly what he's going to do before he does it. Well, you know, like part of it is part of it is is you say he's a great route runner, but he doesn't run the route. Like he's he not really run- doesn't. He improvises. He and Patrick know each other so well. They improvise. He just and finds so, an area, right? And so like, when you're guarding him, you're expecting a, this route or this or this, and he's just going to basically do whatever you allow down. him. You know, yeah, he you sits took down this in away. The zone. You took yeah. this away. I'll go here. You take that away. I'll go here. Like it's all. Imp- it's almost all improvising. And some of his former teammates have said that. Like it's crazy. He and he and Mahomes just know each other well. And it, it's crazy. You know that's why they're such a great tandem together. I mean, you know, so, Mahomes makes. Kelsey better, but Kelsey makes Mahomes better. Yeah, and and he looked for him when he needed big plays. I think he caught like 11 balls over 100 yards. The touchdown catch, if you watch it, like Patrick throws this thing down and away at his feet towards the cone, away you know, the pylon, away from the defender, who, by the way, couldn't cover him any better. Could not have covered him any better. It's back, shoulders, sort of. And he contorts his body, 
spins around, kind of dives, arms stretched out to his left, you know, like towards the pylon. Like this is like, I don't know what the, the catch percentage would have been for most people, but it wasn't very good. And that that's his first touchdown. Like to be his age, to be, uh, you know, everybody know you're getting the ball. Because look, the, really the Chiefs don't have great receivers. They don't even have good receivers to be honest with you. And uh, and somehow Mahomes make this makes them all very effective, and he was terrific. He ran when he needed to run the ball. Um, at one point, I think he hit like fourteen in a row. Like he was, he could do anything he wanted to out there. And yet, you're right; it was the defense. The defense was the story of the day. The defense is what Steve Spagnuolo has done uh, with Kansas City, especially against a guy like Lamar Jackson, was tremendous. And and yet I feel like Steve, there's going to be like about two week debate on whether Lamar Jackson's any good, and he's going to win the MVP. It's going to be more than a two week debate. I mean, you're going to hear it a lot more in the next two <laughs> weeks year. of the Super Bowl. But I <laughs> yeah. mean, all off season and until until he gets over that hump, that's going to be that's going to be what's asked or talked about with him. Yeah, no, you're right, and and you know what? That's the expectation should be there when you're the number when you're the number one seed when you have games at home when you have a championship to play at home and win. Yeah. And you have the number one defense. like, And you got the number one defense, which did not all, play. All you like needed one. was 18 points today. That's it. That's it. 18. It wasn't like you had to get 30, 35. Right. You needed 18 to win that game. Right. And what's great about Mahomes, like, because there's going to be a lot of talk about him, obviously, and you're going to hear Tom Brady, and you're going to hear – Oh, I see people talking on you know Twitter in different places about like I don't care what Brady did; he's the greatest quarterback of our uh, ever lived, because no one can do what Pat Mahomes can do. Well, okay, depends on how you how you grade quarterbacks. But what if he gets his third by the time he's whatever was he twenty eight, twenty nine years old? I mean, he's just now sort of hitting his stride, you know. And how many times can the Chiefs get back to the Super Bowl? And what about Andy Reid and his longevity in this game? You know, and how he's been able to reinvent himself. I mean, that's the great thing about Mahomes is that he's playing complimentary football. You know, mm-hmm. he's doing what he has to do to win and can still make plays. And that's can where still he's changed and, and evolved, much like Brady did too. I mean, that's exactly you know, Brady's right. first championships. He was just basically the caretaker and let the defense right. dominate and just don't screw up. And then as he got more experience and became a better quarterback, then it became more about him and the offense and and doing things. I mean, and you're seeing Mahomes evolve and get better. Um, that's right. You know, he's probably a better quarterback than Brady at that point in his career. I, actually, I don't even think that's probably debatable um, mm. at that point in his career. Now, we'll see how long Mahomes can play and how long he can play at an elite level. You know, part of what makes Brady the GOAT is for 23 whatever seasons it was, almost all of them were elite. Like, mm-hmm. he, he winning Super Bowls are one of the best quarterbacks in the league almost every single year. Like, I mean, you know, in 10 Super Bowls in – 22 years or 20 whatever it was and you know it just you know that'll be to get to the greatest of all time debate we'll see what Mahomes does over his career to this point in his career he's probably better than Tom Brady and if he gets a third Super Bowl I don't think it's probably even debatable at that point yeah and Tom after he won his third went a good long while what uh, before Mm -hmm. he won another one well then they Uh, had the perfect season that they lost to the Giants and lost to the Giants mm -hmm. again yeah yeah I mean he went a long time in between Right. I mean, he lost totally. Lost. I guess he's lost three, right? Out of the ten. Yeah, he was seven and three. Seven and three in the Super Bowl. Yeah. So he got. It took him a while to get back, and then when he did, he didn't win him. So, 
Yeah, with Mahomes, you just don't know how long this run. But the, their ability to get to the championship game, I would, I'd be honest with you, I didn't think the Chiefs, this would be their year. Their offensive line, they've, the one thing they've done, and Don, how about, there's a lot of Buccaneers on this team, by this Chiefs team, by the way, mm-hmm. including Donovan Smith, who yep. everybody ran out of here, discarded, whatever. Now, I'm not going to kid you, Donovan's not playing at a Pro Bowl level, not even close. And because of that, because their, their tackles in particular aren't that great, um, Mahomes throws the ball a lot quicker than he ever has. Right, like mm-hmm. the ball's coming out, it's coming out fast. A lot of screens, a lot of um, you know hitch routes and things that gets gets it out of his hand. But that's the genius of him. Like like Brady, he's evolved to what's around him, and whatever you want to do against him, he has an answer. He just does. He has an answer, you know. And and Andy Reid's such a great play caller that you know right now about what all he's got he can rely on um, is Travis Kelsey, and Kelsey's balling. Like and and the other thing that's interesting, it's kind of weird because it doesn't make sense, is watching the Chiefs play the underdog role. Like nobody thought we could win. <laughs> like okay, man, you're still Patrick Mahomes. You're still the Chiefs, you know. But they've been they have been literal underdogs in Las Vegas and other places, um, in some of these games, and they kind of embrace it. Like the pissed off Patrick Mahomes is kind of fun. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a little fun to watch. And then you got, you know, Taylor Swift's going to the bowl. Somebody asked me, it's rigged, isn't it? And it's like, yeah, I don't know that the Ravens think it's rigged. Like, they were out there trying pretty damn hard to get back, you know, to get to a Super Bowl. Um, but for whatever reason, hey, good on the NFL. You've got, you've got Taylor, who's going to be in Japan the night before of the Super Bowl. And then with the time change and difference, she can make it back uh, to the States, they say. Oh, she'll She's be there. She's got a concert. She'll definitely be there. There's no question. It helps her brand. It helps. I mean, it's everything. I mean. Oh, yeah. Helps the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> They'll send a plane. Oh, I, yeah, well, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure she has one. But, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, and then some. But, yeah. Um, I think CBS will send a plane. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think I saw a stat. And I don't know if this is true. Like I, I was reading, you know, the, the kids on what, what we used to call Twitter is now. What's it called now? X. X. Yeah. Uh, I was reading X, and um, uh, somebody said that in marketing value and merchandise and different things, like Taylor Swift has made conservatively three hundred million dollars for the league and for the Chiefs primarily with merchandise sales, different things, yada yada. I think the merchandise sales get split though. They do, but there's there's like and there's some kind of revenue push with her. Uh, regarding the Chiefs merch and different stuff, there's like a, they think it's a three hundred million dollar um, wow. windfall for for that relationship. So, uh, yeah, a lot of people want to see that one stay together, particularly Roger Goodell. Um, and if it's scripted, then you know confetti will fall on the heads of the Kansas City Chiefs. I guess I don't know, but uh, we got our Super Bowl, and uh, it's good to see John Lynch again. Happy for him. Uh, Kyle Shanahan's been in this game a few times. They haven't won it. So maybe this will be their, their their chance. Las Vegas is coming up. we got the Pro Bowl this week. Um, we'll talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning finishing up their first half on a good note. But first, uh, for the past 14 years, you know the skilled pros of Man Electric Solar have been installing solar energy systems in Florida. They provide the most reliable solar equipment, the best installation methods and service, while helping homeowners Cut energy costs with an environmentally friendly investment. May Electric Solar uses their own skilled employees, never subcontractors, and they've always offered the safest and most reliable equipment. Well, now May Electric Solar offers a 30-year no-cost equipment replacement 
and labor warranty. That means for 30 years, May Electric Solar, backed by Solar Insurer, means that your roof, electrical, and equipment replacement is all covered. Solar Insurer even survives May Electric Solar. It's owned by the homeowner with no deductibles or additional fees. And this policy will transfer to the home, new homeowners with no fee. It's not a blanket insurance policy. In fact, only the best contractors are allowed to be part of this program. May Electric Solar's reputation and history of workmanship has earned them this membership. To learn more about May Electric Solar's installation and their 30-year warranty, call 727-819-2862 or visit mayelectricsolar.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. So over the weekend, uh, the Bucks' offensive coordinator search commenced, I suppose you would say that. They've been putting in a lot of requests for various uh, offensive coordinator candidates. And in fact, some of them never made it to Tampa or presumably even on a Zoom call because they signed somewhere else. <laughs> uh, one of those being Kellen Moore. He's headed to the Philadelphia Eagles. Zach Robinson, um, the uh, uh, I guess he was a quarterback's coach for the L.A. Rams is now headed to Atlanta to work for Raheem Morris and the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and, of course, this all began with Dave Canales taking the Patriots – or the Panthers, Patriots, Panthers head coaching job. Uh, now, the Bucks have, have a bunch of guys that we're going to talk to. I said those two obviously are off the table. They do plan, however – and this came out Sunday – to interview uh, Texans quarterbacks coach uh, Gerard Johnson and Lions receivers coach Antoine Randall, who was here in Tampa – for a couple of years under Bruce Arians' staff, and then Rams passing game specialist uh, Jake Peets. And the thing is, you know, what's significant about the Rams situation, first of all, all these guys, or I should say none of these guys, have called plays in the NFL to my knowledge, right? So you're kind of back into that market a little bit where you're going, okay, who can we get? Uh, But these guys haven't called plays. Um, and so that might be kind of where you're at. And of course, um, you know, I, I think in the case of Randall L, you're familiar with him because he started as an offensive assistant, was receivers coach here under Arians. Um, you know, Pets or Pete's is interesting. He he um, he's worked with a lot of quarterbacks before joining the Rams, like Bridgewater with the Panthers, Derek Carr when he was with the Raiders, Kirk Cousins when he was with the Commanders, going back to Chad Henney and Blaine Gabbert. Tua Tungabaloa, Jalen Hurts, and so he's been around, Mac Jones. Um, the in-house candidate, though, Steve, still remains Thad Lewis, and a name that has, you know, they've the Raiders have asked to interview him, and, and one of the team escapes me right now, but Thad Lewis, to me, if you're going to hire somebody who hasn't called plays, I, I would hope they would interview him, and because and, I know, you know, there's, there's a lot of advocates in that building for him, including one that's not there all the time, which is Bruce Arians, but I would think they would interview him and give him a shot to what measure up against all these guys. He's got to be comparable or or maybe even better than say an Anton Randall L at this point. Well, first of all, if you don't interview him, then you know 
what's the motivation for him to even stay on the staff? Exactly. Well, point. I mean, you know, yeah. If, if other teams are requesting an interview and he's internal, and you're not going to interview him for the same position. That like, yeah. Like you, you right now, you've told him what you thought of him. So I, I'm assuming they're they've will I, interview. I'm pretty have sure they will. Yeah. You know, yeah, but. I don't know when or how. Right, right, and and you know it doesn't become as public because it's internal. So yeah, they don't um, have to announce anything. Correct. So I have to assume he's a candidate, and if you like him and think he is capable, and you know, unless there's just something about these guys external, you almost got to think he's the favorite. If you're if 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 it's a bunch of guys who have not called plays before, but they're all the same that way. Yeah. Right. You know, if if you've got a guy who's got a little more experience and has called plays wherever level, college or whatever recently, you know, then it then you go, okay, you know, now you could see where there's maybe a leg up. But then again, you could interview someone and someone just knocks your socks off. I mean. Well, it's how they know. found Canales. Look, Canales sure. hadn't called plays, and he came in as a longtime quarterback's coach with the Seattle Seahawks that frankly got passed over about three or four times by Pete Carroll. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they he excited them to the point where not only did he get the job, but he did such a good job that the same happened in Carolina, and now he's a head coach. One of the most meteoric rises I can remember. Um, you know, you take a guy like, uh, you know, Gerard Johnson. Well, I don't know much about him, but I know this. C.J. Stroud played really well. So if you're going to give guys like Canellis credit for Geno Smith, mm-hmm. then this did, did a heck of a job with C.J. Stroud. Now, can he call plays? I don't know. Um, but they had a damn good year uh, with what is probably going to be the rookie of the year, and the Texans were ten and seven, and you know, C.J. Stroud had forty one hundred and eight yards with twenty three touchdowns and only five interceptions. So that quarterbacks coach is doing something well, you know, and he used to play quarterback at A and M, um, and you know, Randall has been a receivers coach before. Um, you know, kind of played quarterback and receiver before in his career, um, you know. And so, you know, they tried to get. I, I thought Zach. I thought Robinson would have been a good a good hire for them, because again, like Baker Mayfield was in L.A. Mm-hmm. and very short time, but a lot of the principles on that offense also went to Seattle that Dave Canales brought. I think you're trying to look for some continuity if you can get it, mm-hmm. whether it's terminology system, whatever. Um, but well, then I was talking. Yeah, I was going to say the other part is what does Baker think of Thad Lewis? And well, it, assuming you want to resign Baker, and I, I believe they do, they do. Mm-hmm. You know how much is is his input a part of this? And, and and I have no idea what he thinks of Thad. And and they had a really good season. I got to assume that he probably likes that, right? But that but having you know played under Robinson in L.A., he may think he's better. You know, and does that influence the decision making? Yeah, I mean, all, all that's important, and yet, you know, it wasn't like it's not like Baker hasn't proved. And I wrote about this on Sunday that he's adaptable. Like the only thing he knows, and probably to his detriment, has been change. You know, but along those lines, when you when you have to learn and be able to function and 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 sometimes thrive under all these different type of systems then even though you're craving stability but it helps you it helps you adapt like he's very resilient um you know and there's other guys out there like brian johnson who's the ex-eagles coordinator um they were going to talk to ken dorsey he ended up going to cleveland as a browns coordinator that's another guy they didn't get to talk to you know 
and again, we're lamenting sort of like, well, they lost Canales or whatever. Well, you know, in 11 of their 17 games, they scored 21 points or less, you know, and they were 20th in scoring, they were 32nd in rushing, 17th in passing, 23rd in total offense. It's not like, you know, they they knocked it out of the park. Uh, but you figure if they had another year with Canales or a system similar to that, that, you know, maybe that would be to their advantage. But I think at this point, conservatively, I think that Baker has played for eight maybe offensive uh, offensive systems, if offensive coordinators, you know, coordinators of some kind throughout his career. Um, Oh, here it is. Six seasons. Yeah. Eight head coaches, seven offensive coordinators. So, you know, you like stability, but he's capable of doing it without it. When you've played for more coaches and OCs than years played. (laughs) That's brutal. That's rough. I mean, it is. It's like, okay, I'm going to learn French today, English tomorrow, and Japanese on, on, on the next year. Like, it's just, you know, it's really difficult. It shows how adaptable he's been, and he would be again. I think a bigger question for Baker is going to be money, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a free agent, so can they can they reach what he believes is fair market value? Uh, and then, you know, what kind of team are we going to have? Like, I, I think it would be important to him, say, if he knew Mike Evans was going to be back or – you know, just what their plan was for free agency. Um, because no matter what money he takes or leaves on the table, you still got to have, you're not going to succeed unless you have the cast around you. And and losing a Mike Evans is a big deal. Now they got another draft. Um, they got other ways of, of getting players, but I think Mike and Baker would be the two biggest priorities. So anyway, we'll be following the uh, offense coordinator chase as it turns out, wasn't looking forward to that, but that's where we're at. And uh, you know what? And then maybe they just go in house. You know, you just don't know how these things are gonna gonna work out in the long run. Um, Tampa Bay Lightning off to uh, finishing up the uh, at the break here for the All Star week week and a half. Pretty good note. Eight out of nine now they won, I believe. Eight out of nine, seven straight home games. Uh, third place in the Atlantic Division. And you know, you we've talked about the twelve points in twelve in ten game pace that you want to be on. So after 40 games, they were five points off their pace. After 50 games, they're one point off. They're at 59 points through 50 games. Beautiful. So that's, you know, and and like I said, they're in third place. The number of games in hand that other teams have on them are less than they used to be. Points percentage-wise, I think they're sixth in the East, which is playoffs. So they're, they're doing fine. And after the break, you expect to get back pretty quickly, if not right away, Eric Chernak. Mikhail Sergachev, Hayden Fleury, Tanner Janot, hopefully he's going to be back soon. Austin Watson's week to week. They may have a full healthy roster pretty quick. After I'll be honest back. with you. The way they're playing defense right now, I don't know that I want Sergachev back anytime well, soon. <laughs> I think you I mean, want Sergachev back. But but you really like what you've seen out of Max Crozier and Emil Lilleberg together. Yeah. Like they have been not perfect, and, and Max Crozier's made a few mistakes in the last couple games that have – resulted in big scoring chances for the other teams. But overall, for for two guys that have just been called up, weren't expected to be this year, they've done very well. And, and you're playing them as a pair in the NHL, which is very rare to see. You know, you call up rookies, and you're going to play them together as a pair. So, uh, But Sergachev and Chernak, I mean, you know, look, if nothing else, you know you've got some depth now that you didn't know a couple weeks ago. 
No, and, and I mean, when they allow three goals or less, the record, of course, is terrific, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where they've been living lately. And um, you just hope that this break doesn't slow their momentum a little bit. But I think Vassy's also seems more, I don't know. Vassy-like? More Vassy-like, yeah. Healthier, uh, mm-hmm. solid. I don't know what the word is, but I mean, it makes, stands to reason, right? He was he had two problems, his injury and how, that, how he was going to feel. And then just getting back into it. You know, he hadn't played hockey in a very long time at that level, at that pace, facing that many shots, and they didn't play great around him. So all that's sort of coming together. They're kind of getting that look again, and it's going to be an interesting second half. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, uh, we'll be back, of course, uh, tomorrow. We'll catch you up on the latest of the Bucks offensive coordinator search. Um, got a bunch of mailbag questions we'll get to. You can still send those in if you'd like to. You can send them to us on Twitter at SportsDayTV. You can reach me on Twitter or X at NFL Stroud or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Super Bowl is set. Kansas City against the San Francisco 49ers. Cannot wait for that one. We've got the Pro Bowl activities this week. Mike Evans will be over in Orlando. That's in Orlando nearby. Um, might have a chance to chat with him sometime. We'll see. Yeah, so, it's kind of cool they, that event's back in Orlando. It's been a few years. It's been in Vegas the last few years. So Yeah, I know. I think I, I seem to recall... I don't know if it was the last one. I went over there when uh, Shaq Barrett, you know, had his 19 and a half sacks. Mm-hmm. And, of course, nowadays it's just the uh, skills competition and yep. then the two-hand touch game. I think the, I think the last one was 19. Was that there. what it was? And Because I remember I was, I was yeah, over, that actually over there Shaq's working. Yeah, that would have been Shaq's first year. Yeah. I was over there working. I saw you the there. That's right. Yeah. And was on the field when the Kobe Bryant death news came out. Gosh, you're right, man. And you know, got the alerts on the phone, and you started hearing buzz in the crowd, like they were starting to, to you know, people on their phones getting news. Yeah, kind of, you could feel it. And then the players started to hear about it, and they had their phones on the silence too. And I remember it was, that it was weird, it was eerie, it was, yeah, you know, it was just it, you could kind of just feel it like spreading throughout the stadium over a few minutes, and uh, yeah. just I, I was you know shocked. Everybody was. Yeah, that was a Sunday. I recall that. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the Pro Bowl was on. So, yeah, lots going on this week we'll talk uh, talk about and have maybe some special guests here and there as well. So thanks for listening as always. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.